This has to go down as the worst start to any podcast ever. We've got worse. It's quite extraordinary. Pete has now dissolved into... <laughs> Pete, Pete, Pete. Oh, dear. God, what's going on? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. A couple of days since I'm, Christmas. Did you enjoy... Did you enjoy Christmas? How was everyone's Christmas? Was it good? Pete. David. Christmas is your favourite time of the year. That's how we left it. It's And for me, it's been lovely. My mum came over, Avril, and uh, in our logistics, one of the presents the boys got was a basketball ring, and our friend has come over to fit it because I have no manual labour skills. So he's helping me do DIY. And I'm sitting in here doing the podcast with you guys while he's <laughs> out there fitting the basketball ring. Being a legend. A, being a legend. And me being... Uh, what do you call it? Masculation? What's the that word where you feel like you should be doing it? The opposite of that, Robert. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. But it's all good. But Chris has been great. Mine was good. It's I would say it's a, a transitional Christmas for me. <laughs> uh, what's yeah. a transitional Christmas Pete? <laughs> it's uh, do you know what it's to do with the kids being at certain ages so right selfishly Christmas for a long time is about the fun you have and all everything else and the build up and all that and then all of a sudden uh, this year it I was really really busy emotionally draining for, for all the good reasons because you've obviously you're with your kids and it's Christmas and there was just so much effort that went into it and then Christmas day I was so tired at the end of the day because it was just attentive from as a father from the moment that the the kids got up to the moment they went to bed because they're at that age now where you need to do like everything with them whether it's Lego or games or dad can we do this dad can we do that and it was I was just absolutely wrecked to be honest uh, <laughs> yeah I can, yeah. That's a really good. That's a good. That's a great description of if life is a grand tour of Christmases, and and the fact that your kids for the next few years you've just got to suck it up because you're going to be doing two hundred and thirty-five kilometer stages, you know, through flat Picardy and mm. Normandy and all that, and that's mm. just going to be the way it is. Ends in a big bunch sprint, that you know, all the Christmas dinner gets served at once after seven hours of preparation, and then it's over in like the blink of an eye. Yeah, and I thought about this because I also attacked too soon this year. Did um, you? On around, around the 8th of December. You know, it, the World Cup was on. Every, it was really festive. Uh, we were singing songs with the kids, running around the island in the kitchen. It was all going on. And by the time we got to the 25th, I was just, you know, absolutely ready for Paris. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I tell you uh, what, you do send... <clears throat> I was going to just jump in there because I wanted to segue to of bike racing very early yeah in that we were having a whatsapp <coughs> conversation today <clears throat> and it feels like watching um matthew van der poel Wout van art and T pitters our friend pitters friend of the podcast mm. Mm. it's it's the most joyous thing to watch but at the same time when are they gonna not be kids and win a grand tour mm. which was mm. kind of and that sounds really brutal to say I don't but think it was like, it's so cool to watch them race. They're not, they're not GC. I, like, honestly, I think, well, they're amazing bike riders, obviously. But I'm not sure if either one of them are, GC, are pure GC contenders. 
Could Wout van Aert win the Giro this year with all its long kilometres of time? There's three individual time trials. Geraint Thomas has got a really good chance. If Geraint Thomas has got a really good chance of winning the Giro this year, why hasn't Wout van Aert? If, if, he, if he were minded to, if he were minded to. Mm. Sorry, well, he, he could. Absolutely, he could. I was more um, focusing on the Tour de France, actually. Yeah. But that's really good. You know what? What's really interesting about that, Ned, is that um, Wout van Aert, he excels in Grand Tours when he goes in as Wout van Aert, which is a role he's created. He's not going in there. He's always been, he's always done it with Jumbo Visma with a potential overall winner. Then he gets to cut sick and do all his different, different things. Now, to give him leadership, it's, it's not something that was ever on the trajectory of his career. He's a cyclocross rider that the first time us Rotary World saw him was uh, in Siena at the Enestrada Bianchi where he was on the small Belgian team, the cyclocross rider that couldn't get back on his bike because he was falling off at the top. And it was never part of his plan or in his psyche to be a Grand Tour racer. Now, it's happened over the past few years with the Tour de France and being part of the new super team. But you'd have to be very careful about sending him to a Grand Tour with leadership because you might destroy him. And it's also, for me, it's like, who am I to have an opinion on Wout van Aert? Or your immediate analyst. We have a we have a podcast, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in the stage was it the stage where he had that moment where he almost hit the car. Yeah. Um, stage five. That can't really happen as a GC rider or a GC contender in the tour. You can't have those moments where you're out of the game for a single day. I, I he is capable of winning the Giro right, of the Vuelta okay. if the um, course suited him. Ned, do you speak? But hello, Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, yeah. Pete. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, going back to cyclocross, did we watch that? The one yesterday, not today, where Matthew van der Poel attacked from the word go. No, uh, I'll be honest, I d I d I'm afraid I didn't, Peter. I tend to focus on um, cyclocross in Devon. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> to the Yeah, that was... No, yeah. so tell, tell us about it, because this is great. Well, We're actually talking about cycling. This is impressive. I didn't get yeah. to see the food. had to... Oh, where did I have to go? I had to go somewhere anyway. It's All Christmas. Right. Yeah. Um, but I watched the first 30 minutes and it was so good because, and it shows my naivety in cyclocross because I was like, oh, it's over for, for Wout van Aert now. Matthew van der Poel just hit it straight from the gun. Pitters was sitting right behind him, looking completely in cruise control. Um, and that's all I have to say on the race because I didn't watch the last 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it, did, it just occurred to me that for, <clears throat> for I'm not sure... I'm not sure whether Tom Pidcock can, at the moment, get the better of, of Mathieu van der Poel and Wout van Aert. It, it feels like he does when he goes head-to-head -head against them. Well, do, do you know what? So I, I have read some of the reports, and obviously we, we know Tom. Um, and obviously being experts at cyclocross like we are, yeah. um, having been to Torbay and... And Torbay, a, just just Torbay, really, but just yeah. Torbay. Um, but he is. It's a really, and this is a very French thing to say, muscular sport. In that you have to be quite big and be able to be powerful and running and picking up and doing things. And I've I've read uh, Tom afterwards saying he can't compete with them on certain courses because it you have to have such explosive, massive flat power. And kind of which, and Pete will understand this. It's like sprinters can get over things, and they are essentially both sprinters. 
Peters, we don't know truly what he is yet, but the fact he's even kind of dancing with those two is nuts. Yeah. Because they weigh 15 kilos more and have complete different physiology and morphology. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's just so, my thing. I think so, Peters is fine. So but going, going back to the original yeah. point that goes back to our WhatsApp message mm. that we were exchanging mm. when I was in the queue at Sainsbury's and we were talking about whether or not we do a podcast this evening and I was trying to watch some cyclocross in a queue in Sainsbury's. Um, not wait. Yeah. Um, my, you know, my... Sainsbury's. My, yeah, my... Um, my yeah my, my my kind of feeling that well ha, for how much longer do you do they want to do this? i know it's i know they're very well paid and i know it's how they started their career and it's kind of real part and i know they've got a passion for it but if you are not going to be winning every single time and smashing it up and tearing it up at what point does he kind of go ref, refocus a little bit and go because he is you're so right physiologically so different from the other two he does have that avenue of possibility that opens up for him in a way that certainly mm. I don't think it does for Mathieu van der Poel. I think Mathieu van der Poel is the one of those three who can't win a Grand Tour, right? Yes. Right, definitely yeah. can't. I think we can I, kind I, of say, and he's never shown, never shown any inclination. Yeah. yeah. But the other, the other two can The other two could, you could plot a trajectory that would actually suggest they might. And maybe it isn't like you say, Pete, maybe it's not the Tour de France. Um, but it could be one of the others, you know. Well, it could be the Giro, let's be honest. It could be the Giro. Well, I, I, the only way to figure it out and the only way to know is really ask the riders themselves. But I think <laughs> for me, it comes down to, obviously, uh, passion and the longevity of your career. And if cyclocross is a discipline of cycling that you love and you look forward to winter in, winter out, and that's all it gives you, that's maybe okay. Mm. I mean, I agree. I think I think what's really interesting about this conversation as well is we go back to um, where cycling was uh, 20 plus, 30 plus years ago, where you could do those, the different disciplines. You could be a sprinter, you could be a climber. Uh, but then we've gone could... full circle though, David, I feel like yeah. in recent years where actually mm. that's not the case anymore. Would you not agree? That oh, you think it's almost, going the other way? Well, we've almost come back round to the fact that the guys who are multidisciplined and are racing throughout the winter are the mm. guys actually performing. Whether you can argue the fact that they're not winning the Grand Tours GC-wise, mm. but then maybe ultimately they're just not GC riders, you know? And yeah, and I think yeah, and I think that's it's bang on. I think it's really hard to explain because you look at Sean Kelly, and I think where was I it? I saw a tweet or something recently, and he says eight, his eight in the row Paris wins. He won seven monuments. He won the Vuelta, uh, finished kind of in the top five at Tour de France, won the Vuelta, had such a, a, a kind of smorgasbord of professional wins. <clears throat> uh, but during that generation, he wasn't considered to be a sprinter. And you think, oh, what? Now looking back, you're like, I thought Sean Kelly was a sprinter. Mm. Oh no, he mm. was like, a, Sean Kelly was Wout van Aert, like V1. Yeah, yeah. And I genuinely think Wout van Aert is, and it's a totally different generation, but I think the way, and I, I'll say this complete, kind of how I see it, because of the way the sport's bettered itself and removed so much of the doping anom anomalies, so there's a lot of clean riders get these opportunities. Those weird freaks get to come out. 
And Walt Van Aert is one of them, and Sean Kelly was one of them. Sean Kelly couldn't compete with Greg LeMond or Bernard Eno or uh, uh, Laurent Fignon, but he could yeah. win monuments. He could go to the Volta and pick up a, a, a Grand Tour. He could kind of go and win the green jersey at the Tour de France. He could go and win, like, any monument, essentially. Yeah. Uh, which is what Wild yeah. Van Aert very much is. And we didn't have that for the last 20 years, those riders that could do that. And I think it's really interesting because it's got, it's got to be very confusing for a rider like Wout Van Aert to think because there is no role model for him because he was born after Sean Kelly had stopped racing. Well, I mean, he's just doing his thing, isn't he? But I mean, yeah. let's just cut it back to Christmas. For yeah. I know. Like, uh, yeah, I'm almost falling asleep here with it amid the, the cycling discussion. As what good as it was, was though, intense. excellent as your analysis was, it's a, a lot, a lot. What type of Christmas are, are they having when they're racing cyclocross on Boxing Day? Do they, are they like just, okay, I'm going to have a completely normal Christmas and then I'll just face facts when I'm on the start line in the freezing cold weather about to start the biggest cyclocross of the year? Or are they literally in Parmesan and pasta on Christmas Day? Pete, all, all, all I can... All I can contribute to this is um, when I started football. in telly. Yeah, it is a football story. When I started in yeah. telly a long time ago, um, Wimbledon Football Club was still in the Premier League. And, um, and in a, I think it was 1998, I gave a very early 1998-style video camcorder to one of the Wimbledon players. He was a left, black, le left back called Alan Kimball. Was and, he black? Um, I get, no, he wasn't. He was uh, a white guy from Dagenham with a twin brother. Um, I just misspoke. His name was, uh, <laughs> he was a left back. He was a white left back uh, called Alan Kimball. And, um, and, and anyway, I gave him one of these really early camcorders and I kind of told him, I remember driving to his house and telling him how to switch it on and had a talk to the camera and pointed at himself. You know, this is 1998. <laughs> and I said, will you do what's called a video diary for over your life over the Christmas period because footballers are incredibly busy over the Christmas period aren't they you know they play on Boxing Day and they play two days later and two days after that and then again on New Year's Day and um, it was hilarious because Wimbledon Football Club had a particular ethos back then as is as well you know documented and they were just partying <laughs> like there was no tomorrow and then turning up and playing football and it was a, it was only slightly odd because his very last piece to camera was at one o'clock in the morning outside some house in Romford where he'd celebrated uh, New Year's Eve, basically. There are fireworks going off and everything. And he rather solemnly pointed at the camera himself and said, just one little down note at the end of this, what's been an amazing festive period. We picked up five points and we've done this and that, that. But just a little down note. Um, my mate Dave, who was badly injured in a road traffic accident the other, the other day, just to wish him, just to wish him oh, all no. the best, mate. Anyway, here's here's for here's for the, here's for you know all the best in 1999 like that. So I don't know how I got onto that, but anyway, I called yeah. it. I remember I was yeah, a young yeah. I was a young producer stroke reporter, and I called it um, Kimball's Crimble. So <laughs> this is this is 1998 Christmas. Yeah, just to, just a good perspective to our listeners and for us as the. Yeah, what were you presenters. doing? On, on what were you yeah. doing in 1998 Christmas, Pete? Yeah, well, you've both asked each other the same question. Let's yeah. start. I'm going to adjudicate here. Pete, what were you doing? 1998. Uh, I got my first road bike um 1999 Christmas. It was a yellow vision made by Steve uh, Jockin. It had Steve Jockin, uh, friend of the podcast. Legend. On it. And I remember being absolutely elated because it was like 
I knew I was getting a bike, but I didn't know what type of group set it was going to be on. It was Campag, and the cables were inside the bar tape, uh, which I was really happy about. And I just remember, and I got some tights, some Provision tights from Steve Jockin as well. And I remember just going straight out. Just, I did a lap around the block. Uh, it was amazing. But David Miller was, you were, you know, pretty much, that was your career. I'm just thinking, this and, 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 and this, might be, this might be wrong. But um, my mum's here, actually, and well, she'll listen, she's a, a listener of the podcast. Um, that was the, my first year pro, 1997, and I'd been kind of off the grid for a while. And I went back to Maidenhead, where my mum lived at the time. And we were having, and Ned will know this, and I think we had Christmas lunch planned with Alan Parry, the football commentator. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So my mum's the goddaughter, god, godmother, is... of his, godmother of his, his daughter. And so this I is when I think David, you should tell more stories on the Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is amazing, so, but this is so beautifully, this weaves back in perfectly. Yeah. Go on, carry on then. So Alan but, Parry is no, having Christmas lunch. Right. It's Christmas lunch at my mum's house in her yeah. lovely small house. And um but I got back in classic. I'd been in I'd moved to Biritz that year. Obviously. And I hadn't I'd been straight training for ages. And I got super drunk the night before kind of with them and basically kind of couldn't even show myself at lunch the next day and oh that bad no no that bad no 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 but I was just at home with them just having fun but right. I was just so and I was so tired and just shut down yeah, well, I pop in yeah, and I brought wine across and everything and Alan Parry Alan and I got on really well but I was gutted and I was so tired because I trained so hard in December and Pete knows this and I got got back home and I was so excited to get back to England and got back to my mum's house and just and didn't go out, just sat there and drank and just I was buckled the next day, and my Christmas day was ruined, and and they were like, "Where's David? Oh, he's he's upstairs in bed, and he'll pop in and out." And that was kind of my full circle to Alan Parry, and we became really good friends after that. But um, but it was, yeah, that's well, my I Christmas in my early years would be a complete kind of escape, and yeah. Break David, my training I, I, cycle. I completely agree with you in, in t almost to the extent now where I, it's so embedded in me that I still do it even though I'm not a professional cycle. So for me, yeah. it's like Christmas is like off. I am like literally self-indulging at any moment. And then in my head, I'm like, first January, bang, back on it, work. I'm going to be on the point with everything. And it's like, wait a minute, Pete. Why? Why the boom and bust? You've got you're not so a professional anymore. You've, you don't have all these stresses. You don't have all the, you don't have this training load. You're not tired. But for some reason, in my mind, even today, I was like, I've got like four days left, and then I'm back. Then <laughs> four back. days left. You know what I mean, I'm like, I can't end the year. I can't just like sit around the house and just chill out for a couple of days. Like I've got four days left, and then it's then I'm back to work. You know what I mean? But I think. From what you just said, it's just reminded <laughs> me of like the mentality of a professional cyclist. Maybe not now, yeah. but maybe it is for some people, not for everyone. <laughs> but it was really that mentality was like Christmas. It's like I'm going to really, you know, decompress and I'm going to de destroy myself. Yeah, I'm going to self destruct for a, for a week or two, and then first of January, it's like right, it starts and it's going to end potentially in October. And that's where the mentality comes from because in your head it's like, well, I've got four days left to basically almost not do what I want, but to really, you know, relax and get it all out of my system. And then because on the first of January, that's it. We have these targets, these goals, 
and it can go all the way until October. It's quite a long time, isn't it? It's <laughs> quite a long time. <laughs> quite a long time. Pete, Pete, can you imagine a life that isn't peaks and troughs? That's just like, yeah, you know, whatever. Like uh, Pete, hey? Pete, Pete's and Pete, troughs. Pete's and troughs. Pete's and troughs. Pete's and troughs is brilliant. Pete's and troughs. Pete's and troughs. That's, it. that's a new that's a new that's a new range of merchandise right there isn't it pizza and troughs oh yeah, yeah. Pizza uh, and troughs. Being, a, being a gemini i can't to be honest oh, of course gemini obviously star, there's, there's, there's no are really balance you've got a balance pete's <laughs> the most balanced person i know so he's a perfect gemini mm -hmm. yeah yeah we had a little Actually, conversation on one of our aborted uh, attempts to start this podcast with our three full starts where you were discussing how what capricorns were david and and pete was wanging on about Gemini and then I just mm. I was asked what my star sign was and I said July mate isn't it yeah <laughs> so I'm it, I'm so. I'm but I have I have a little bit of uh, spirituality left in me or belief in the the other ideas that people may have and I kind of I kind of like the idea of star signs even if they are as you said now a, a kind of a publishing phenomenon to get people to mm. follow and, and let's just, perhaps a let's little bit of smoke and mirrors and Hmm. Yeah. Ed was born in July. Hmm. What? I mean, every year, what does he love doing? That's true. Hmm. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. I, a, oh, my God. It's a bit of predestination. Pete, you just going nailed on there. it. A yeah, bit you just nailed it. So, it took Capricorns me a long time to realize it. Yeah. And so, Capricorns are kind of supposed to be loners and do their things, but none of it makes sense because they're all the same and different things. But it. But I, I was saying when we were having that conversation, I love the Chinese kind of 12-year cycle, which goes on a four 12-year cycle. So it's because it's every cycle has a sign. So you have every 12, year, 12 years, there's an animal allocated 12 years, and it's earth, fire, water, uh, or uh, metal. And then that just rotates around. So it only happens every 48 years that you're one of those kind of, Mm. signs mm. and I, I'm doing some work with the so Chinese at the moment and having great conversations and doing different things and, and Taiwanese Chinese and they're so big on this idea karma it's like they're just like oh things just come around wait they sorry. Have, what work are you doing with the Chinese you can't just throw that in and say I'm just doing some work with the Chinese and the Taiwanese and not elaborate David are you oh, yeah, no, no. Well, chapter three, chapter three is going to oh, this oh, wonderful okay, place. In, chapter okay. three is going to this wonderful place in Taiwan, and uh, but it's it's really nice for me because I spent in the nineties kind of going to school with Chinese and growing up in Hong Kong before it kind of all went a bit pear shaped, and so I have a kind of <laughs> great great <laughs> political analysis there from David. Yeah, yeah. That. and it's well, it's all going quite pear shaped, but it, it's yeah. still there is this wonderful they. They operate on a forty-eight year cycle, essentially. I I don't believe in karma at all. I believe it's 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 to do with your like what you do, and in terms of, so say if you do something really bad, really bad, and karma would be okay, you've done something awful. The chance karma would be that's going to happen back to you. You don't you don't know when it's going to happen, but the chances are, something awful is going to happen to you because of your actions or whatever you did. But actually. I believe if you did a singular act or something that was you know, really awful and that was it, then I, I don't believe the karma would ever happen. I, what I've, why I think people believe in karma is because people who um, 
whatever it is they do in life, whether it's, it could be a number of things, the chances are they're going to repeat them over and over again to a point where it gets, it gets to a situation where they find themselves in a place where karma has eventually happened, i.e. they're, they're, they're reaping what they sow or their actions have finally caught up with them. But mm -hmm. I don't believe that a singular event or, you know, do you, do you know what I'm trying to say, Ned? Could you word it? I know, no, I understand. I'm just, uh, just trying to listen. Yeah. I've thought about karma a lot. I like, I, 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 I think you're, I'm really struck by what you just said now about um, people who repeat the same mistake or they, they repeat the same damaging action or the, ba the same bad event, you know, over and over again. And that strikes me like someone, you know, that's a bit like someone who's trying to fly off in a hot air balloon. But every time they do the bad thing, there's another guy rope that gets kind of like banged into the ground. And eventually you reach a point where there's enough guy ropes that that thing is never going to fly. And it's mm. kind of like, uh, and, and then you've, you've done the damage to yourself. But I think that's, yeah, it's interesting yeah. point. So do you think, and on like this, because I, I think what's really interesting, and I'll, I'll, back to racing, I think <laughs> Ma Mathieu van der Poel oh, nice, genuinely, thinks, nice. gen genuinely thinks he has bad karma. And I yeah. don't know why. And I don't know why he thinks that. Because he's, he's been one of the most joyous racers I've ever seen. And yet he carries this Karma baggage. He's not what Peach. Sorry, Say it again. Chinese. Chinese. No, much of he's not Chinese. But he, um, he, yeah. Well, that would explain you, it. You know what I mean? Ancestors yeah. or yeah, yeah. But apart from that, I think that's just down to David, someone trying to help himself believe in in their bad in their own bad luck or circumstantial. So the idea of karma, Pete, yeah. is that there's no, um, it's never, kind of, it's just of, it. No, but. It's where, got nothing where to do with external. It's an internal yeah, yeah. thing. But, but what I'll interrupt you there with David, if, if he's if he's saying himself that he has, what did he say? He has bad karma. I, I my my perception is he's giving himself bad karma. Oh, so he didn't say he has bad karma. No, no, he's never no, said I, that. Oh, no, okay. it's just the impression he gives of someone who dwells on his yeah. lack of good fortune or, or kind of when things go wrong, he yeah. obsesses on that rather than yeah. when things go right. I think that's your point, right. David. Yeah. So that's not yes, always, karma yeah. then, is it? No. And so the idea of karma is you, 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 <laughs> I can't believe we're the, we're the biggest, we're, we are Philistines to talk about this. But at the same time, it's you never do anything to expect anything to come back. But if you do except enough. A boomerang. A, a boomerang. Except a boomerang. <laughs> but eventually, if you do enough things and kind of the idea is things, good things happen. I've got a story and about boomerang. <laughs> let's go let's do it let's go let's go <laughs> david he's tying himself up in knots here go on pete what's his um, boomerang story <laughs> david is just going down a hole that he could not <laughs> thank you let's go boomerang story all in <laughs> he's, just, he's just tying guy ropes down to himself like, so he'll never get back up again <laughs> in 1996 my dad went to do the age group mountain bike world championships in oh, australia legend Left us three children for three weeks. Not okay. <laughs> um, Questionable. Uh, he had the great jersey on and stuff, so it was obviously legit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, the picture's still in the kitchen now, yeah. and I think fair play, Dad. I remember him doing his turbo sessions in with the shower on to create, you know, heat um, simulation. Yeah. 
uh, old school. And that's uh, Boardman he, style, isn't it? That's Boardman yeah. behaviour. Yeah. Came back with these boomerangs, two boomerangs uh, for me and Tim. <laughs> up the mountain. Sorry, uh, interrupt. That was that was an airport purchase, wasn't it? That was a desperate airport purchase. I've been away. I've left my kids at home. I've been to Australia. I'm at the airport. I haven't bought them a damn thing. What can I get just before that? Yeah, air boomerangs. They're anyway, but they're probably ornaments. They probably weren't even real boomerangs. Really. No. Anyway, we go we go up to the mountain. I feel like it was. I can't remember what time of year. It was definitely cold, and we were like, he was like, yeah, they're gonna come back. So we just threw one, didn't come back, and then literally launched the other one. And I was like, why hasn't it come back? And he was like. I don't know. Went to look, spent about half an hour looking for them, couldn't find them. That was that was the boomerang. Oh my god, that's so meta. <laughs> well, I, the impressive thing for me about that is that the first one you threw came back. No, it didn't. It's, oh, it didn't. No, you didn't. Oh, I missed. No, I missed. Oh, oh. yeah. Neither of them came back. It's just because you're yeah. not very good at throwing boomerangs. It's not like, uh, yeah, it's you know, true. it's not like. It's yeah, that's can't, true. Yeah. So one, there must be a technique, and two, <laughs> yeah, our listeners can actually engage with us on Twitter and tell us how one to throw a boomerang and if they have has it ever came back because i'm thinking now is it is it is it a myth like do they actually like can you imagine throwing something that's like slightly triangular shaped like as hard as you can and it just coming back to you i I didn't get it either pete it was like i think you have to just throw it at a certain angle like 40 degrees upwards not as if you're actually aiming it at anything and you're throwing it for it to come back to you which is a completely different thing. Because when I first encountered boomerangs, I was like, oh, you just throw it and it comes back to you. But it's like, no, it doesn't do that. <laughs> you have to actually throw it and then, then actually throw it in a way that it uses physics to come back to you. Yeah, And, and I was like, oh, well, that's a useless tool. <laughs> kind of, why, was, why would I throw what, something yeah. that comes back to me? What is the point, actually, in something... <laughs> So you can throw it again without going. To yeah, but it. what's it? What's it doing <laughs> when when you throw it that it achieves and then comes back so you can reuse it? Like the space. Yeah, it's not going to hit anything. Was, like, it's not, not going to hit anything because it's going to be the air so the whole what, time. What? So what was uh, it used for? What was it designed for? Oh well, I'd, play. it's like a hobby, isn't it? Just what, a play. Please? Just playing. Just playing. A hobby. But, I mean, oh, so it's got me. no. It's got no hunting. I don't think so. I I don't think so. I was thinking. I don't know what you can kill with this. It's kind of. Because if you hit it, it's not coming I mean, back I, either. I'll tell you what, you can kill my morale. I'll yeah, that. morale. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I guess if you missed it, it would come back and you could try again. Or I'm thinking because it's like a steamy, semi-tropical place. Because as your dad trained for with the sh- hot shower on and everything, at best, I suppose if you you know flicked it through the air and it's in the air for ten seconds, comes back to you. Mm. It might be coated in small insects, which are a source of protein, mm. and you could lick you could mm. lick the boomerang mm. to derive okay. some benefit from that. Um, a lot of questions. We're gonna have to look into it. We yeah. should, we'll do some research. Can I can I just bring we'll this up and just just what obviously, obviously we won't do any research. It's just no. a, it's a thing we say on the podcast, isn't it? We'll definitely look into this and get back to you. But no, we won't. No. None of can us I know bring, what boomerangs are. Can I bring this up? Just uh, no, I'm not sure if Pete will remember this, and I think about this not very often, but occasionally. Uh, remember Ned when you were younger, many years ago. Uh, cars would be covered in flies, dead flies. Yeah. Now that we have no bugs anymore, now I don't know if it's the aerodynamics of the vehicle that prevents it happening, or there are just less insects. Oh, that's because really I remember sad. in the 1980s and mm. early 1990s, 
your car would be covered in flies and insects on the windscreen. Mm. I remember that that's, vividly. That's horrifyingly true. Although yeah. when when we do, you know, when we hit but the it might really be aerodynamics. When we hit the hot, really hot weather in the Tour de France, when we're passing through the Camargue, there are mm. days on the autobahn when you're constantly kind of, you know. Pressing the old, you know, pressing for the old yeah, uh, windscreen yeah. fluid, aren't you? But you're right, you're right. It was a much mm. more of a thing when we were young. Insects have like evolved bugs. to the point where they now know what cars are and just fly over them. Mm. <laughs> they recognise, I don't know. I don't know, I think that's got us, I think that's, yeah. But cars are different anyway, aren't they? The whole, like when I was a kid, all our cars rusted. They yeah, fell apart true. with rust. And people would yeah. spend their Sundays patching them up with anti-rust mm. treatment that didn't mm. really work. Uh, or have them on jacks outside the house. Fi on jacks? You'd always, uh, you'd always know somebody who could fix a car. Yeah, but that's back in the day when every man in the house knew how to do the plumbing. And yeah, I can't. I, the reason, one of the reasons we delayed this podcast was Archibald and Harvey got a basketball ring. I don't know how to put that up on the wall yeah. in our house. So yeah. our, our friend, who's the farmer and who local farmer, has come here and spent an hour putting it up. And I left him and Harvey outside putting it up to speak to you guys because you I'm so, I don't know how to do it. David, was it not just a drill? Yeah, but it's a you drill into, drill a hole. It's a drill into stone and, oh. yeah, and you've got, you got to have the right drill concrete yeah. and it's yeah. old oh, concrete. Very hard. Yeah. And it's, and you want to be able to jump up and hang on it if they get big enough. Oh, you know? right. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Uh, mm. a rig, yeah, it's got to be done properly. It's, it's not one you can got to be done properly. Yeah, I yeah. I put up five, uh, four or five bike hangers uh, at our house, and three of them yep. fell down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not proud of that. <laughs> no, it's no. There's nothing to be proud no. of there. No, so it's, I um, just kind of not... I just don't. I know what I'm. I th what I like to think I'm good at, and I'm very bad at putting things on walls. Um, I remember well, the. I remember the. Sorry, Pete. Go ahead. All right. No, go on. No. no, I was just remembering that the, the comedian Jack D made me laugh a long time ago. I think he's a bit. I'm not. I'm not sure that we should celebrate him necessarily anymore greatly. <laughs> but anyway, um, but but I remember him Has making me canceled? laugh about. I think he might have been. He might have just said some rather daft things. I can't remember about what. But um, but he he did make me laugh years ago when he said about the first time you leave home and you kind of set up away from your mum and dad's and you actually rather than just being in a student mm. lodgings or something, you're actually somewhere where you're kind of trying to create a home. And the first time your parents come around, and your dad in particular, this is a bit of a sexist stereotype, but they come around and they ask you questions about the radiator that you don't understand. <laughs> oh, bleed <laughs> it. You're going to bleed, they the, do, bleed yeah. it. They do things like they put their hand on the top of the radiator and then they just run it down to the bottom and, and they shake their head and look look disappointed at you and go like da, 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 you know um, so you got to bleed your radiator some yeah and I still I'm still struggling with that at my age now yeah. funny enough my dad my dad was mm. oh talking about my dad and my mum and dads and mums David we were mm. packing up yesterday uh, I got yeah. my mum merch I got my mum packing up our merchandise that we mm. had um, I think you know in about a day before Christmas mm. when we put it on sale I got a big box we sold 33 of the merch bundles which sadly only leaves 17 how bad's my math 17 17, 17. available yeah. um, but I got my mum <laughs> I got my mum addressing all the envelopes and at one point I noticed that she was addressing one to your mum <laughs> yeah because your mum your mum had brought a merch bundle 
Yeah. And then also, it's Pete's mum, Jackie, who's setting up our company and done our things. And, you know, we may as well just be honest about it. It's like, it's, uh, it's all, cool. Uh, it's our mums have set this up for us. Yeah. Yep. And I'm very Basically. proud of that. We are, uh, our mums are the best. Yeah, but just so, just so the listeners know, we've sold out of extra large t-shirts. There are, I think I've got this right, 11 large t-shirts left, three mediums, and two small t-shirts left, and that's it. No extra t- extra large. So when they're gone, they're gone. Uh, but we'll, yeah, we're going to reorder some stuff, aren't we? Pete's and troughs. Yeah. I think that's Pete's and troughs is my first next suggestion at our merchandise meeting. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Well, I think we have a lot, uh, <laughs> a lot to do, and I think it's also important for us to just uh, is are we closing 2022 yet, or do we have one more left in us to talk Ooh. about the future? Of How many never stray as far as a podcast. What are we on now? Well, let's talk about it now. I think we're done, aren't we? I, yeah. I yeah. We have to close yeah. it today. Yeah. yeah. So I think so after after I I was looking because I was clearing out my computer and I see we have 185 that I got on my this computer. This is a loaded question, wasn't it, David? Yeah. <laughs> and we've just been doing that out of kind of the joy and love. And next year we're gonna have we're doing the merch, got the website, we got the the social stuff. And we're going to have a, a few different lovely partners joining us to allow us to do cooler stuff and yep. and just actually just help us with the production and send us yep. to different places and do, we'll do all the other funny, weird stuff. But yeah, I mean, that's the idea is that next year it won't just be Ned, Pete and I ad hoc kind of madness. We'll be a bit, we hope to be a bit better. We're going to try, I think we can say this out loud, I think we're going to try and record regularly on Monday evenings. Yeah, because often big stuff has happened on the Sunday, at the weekend, Saturday, Sunday. Monday, a little bit of time to reflect. And also, podcasts kind of get listened to earlier on in the week and towards the end of the week, they're, they're, they're kind of less something that you want to engage with. So we'll try and record regularly every single Monday, but then sporadically throughout the season, we're going to burst into life and do little trips and do much more frequency than that, etc., etc., etc. But we were trying to kind of figure out when the season starts, because that's always mm. a bit of a question, isn't it? Like, when, when do you start caring about road racing? Like, one, what, you know, what is it? So technically, the first World Tour race is obviously the Tour Down Under, which... You know, normally flies a bit under the radar and probably will, if we're honest, again this year. But only because of the time zone thing. Um, but I think we need to pay it, We need to doff our caps to it and pay it a bit of respect this year because it has not existed for two years. Like, it's like, mm. this is a big deal Yeah, that it's coming. I think it's, it's really important. It's, it's one of my, it's Stuart O'Grady, who's the director, who got given that just before it, it got kind of postponed yeah. because of... COVID and the amount of work and they, they essentially did change the calendar and it gives the that's where Peter Sagan was his first ever pro race in yeah. the, the pre Tour Down Under Criterium Lance Armstrong that was his comeback race he yep. was in a breakaway very controversial he was a very contra- and he was in a breakaway Peter Sagan was like who's this kid so you know it's already got some yeah. and Tim, Tim yeah. my brother who works for Bahrain he was saying um, that's on Christmas Day the amount of Amount of emphasis that Bahrain are putting on this race is yeah. insane. That's interesting. And he was saying actually how frustrating it is as a coach, not because they're doing that, because you can have someone who can do these certain numbers and is capable of, you know, as a coach, you know, what you can control and what you can, you know, prepare someone for. And he could be, and he said it could be 38 degrees and they could have 
50, 60 watts less. Than Do you know what's actually, now. this has just reminded me because of our brilliant it, it, interview it, it, we did with Richie Port that no one ever heard because it was great. Of, our, of, of our production so values. Um, <laughs> but I just glimpsed on Velo News or somewhere uh, an interview with him and we got to experience that interview. What were your takeaways from Richie Port's interview, Pete? And, and I'm just I'm just referencing this back because Richie Port won the most uh, won what five King Wollongong stages or whatever Wollonga. it's called. <laughs> Wollonga Hill. Yeah. Wollonga Hill. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. What? But Go what on. do you remember from that interview, Pete? I, I want to see if it's the same thing I remember. I remember. For me, it was one of the most honest interviews I've ever heard a professional cyclist do in my lifetime. Yep. And it was so genuine. Sorry, we didn't record it. Was it. So, yep. it was, it, it wasn't like he was happy to get out in terms of, it, it came across that he was like really happy to get out of cycling and to live the next chapter of his life and, you know, spend more time with his family and recreate this this new existence of who Richie Port was. But at the same time, it was, he had this, I don't know, this emotion and this attachment to cycling that he was fond of. And, um, it, it's, it was really hard for me to explain and it's a shame that it was, it was never recorded um, but it was like almost like a respect for all the other cyclists and the, the people who he's got to work with, who he's got to race with and it's, it, is, it, was a, it was his memory of cycling that he wasn't aware of at the time and because he was retiring he was now you know, conscious of and it was, does that make sense? Yeah, complete, yeah, it does make yeah. complete sense. Yeah, complete sense. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like when you're under pressure, and you've, you mm. have to perform and you need to get results that yeah. you don't you don't see what's going on around you and you mm. don't understand like your appreciation for the sport mm. and why you fell in love with it. And, it was and, a I, little I, bit and I think what was really interesting for the interview I saw that. he publicly released or was released today was he was talking about how the sport has become so uh, scientific, mm -hmm. and yet in many ways I always thought he was very scientific. No, kind of the fact he always won the same race every year. <laughs> no, kind of no, yeah. he wasn't and scientific, it, Pete. No, it, it, no, no. <laughs> and so actually, my perception of him because I'd never been the same team. I was like, oh, Richie. But well, then get you to go, know you now, David. Of that, it's like exactly, and I, and that goes back to his interview. I think that's what he was almost alluding to, wasn't it? That your perception yeah. of people. You know, you spend ten, fifteen years, however long your career is, with almost the same group of people or. 200 bike riders mm. and you have this perception of who they are and what they're about when it's actually completely different to who they are as an actual person is completely different to who they are mm. as a bike rider mm -hmm. and that's probably what i took from the interview my uh, what i took from the interview was the notion of him going to matt goss's bar in tasmania god oh, yeah. oh my god i've still that's still stuck in my head the picture <laughs> of that gossy gossy with his big gossy beard and richie and smoking richie some and cigarettes with his three pubs yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Proper old school. Yeah. yeah. Oh, by the way, I, I meant to ask you, what, which um, Christmas messages did either of you get from either recently retired or currently active professional cyclists? Like on WhatsApp or like, oh, they're both checking their phones to see. Same. Or even the, yeah, mm. what have you had? Mm. Scrolling going on. Pete's shaking his head. Nothing. Nothing from Pete Kenyuk. Mm. No, no. I am... Um, Nothing. Jay McCarthy, because I'm in a group of them. Jay McCarthy, recent retired pro. That's that's a good one. That's a good one, David. 
Christian Vanderveld. Uh, oh no. no, Christian Vanderveld, Ryder Hedgedal, Bradley Wiggins. No, that Dave would Zabriskie. have been no, no, nothing. The closest. It's got to be. It's got to be a WhatsApp group. No, no. no <laughs> nothing. <tell> me. <laughs> nothing. Lachlan Morton. Lachlan Morton was the closest. Oh, okay. And that, okay. that's it. Yeah, no, okay. no pro cyclists. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Got a friend from Hong Kong. That was nice. And apart from, from that, no. Okay. Yeah. I just had t- Tony Martin's dad <laughs> <laughs> watching <laughs> Sweeney. Tony Martin's dad, who's lovely, called Carsten. He he messaged me to just to wish me and my family all the very best. Um, oh. and, 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 there, and there we go. And on that note, I think it's a heartwarming note, isn't it, to sign off, lovely. sign off for 2022, and um, let's just Onwards. cross fingers and hope this sound Hopeless. edit works. Yeah. So our first, our first, our next recording, guys, don't forget, is on the first Monday evening in January, which I think off the top of my head is the third. All right? That's, uh, that's my last day of being um, 45. Whoa. Well, that's a big enough occasion, mm. um, even in those terms. Pete, Pete so, that means yeah. it's the day before my birthday. Yeah, got you. No, he's got that. Pete's yeah. just contemplating yeah. what 45 actually means. <laughs> we'll, talk about, yeah. we'll talk about 53 in the next podcast. All uh, right. Yeah. I was actually just thinking right. what are you going to do between now and then. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Bye.